0: Carbon capture is one of the less popular topics of the energy transition, with many believing the costs and risks far outweigh the benefits. To understand more about the cost of implementing carbon capture projects, as well as the cost of delaying this implementation, I'm joined by Carbon Capture and Storage Association CEO Ruth Herbert. Ruth shares her insights into why the sector is so challenging and yet so promising in terms of delivering net zero. I'm Pamela Log, and you're listening to the Energy Transitions Podcast. Ruth, thank you so much for joining us today. If you could use one word to describe the market, what would that word be?
1: Thank you for having me. I think the word would be accelerating. We are at a point where this technology has to be deployed urgently. And governments are starting to realise that industry is poised to deliver it. And there are lots and lots of developments happening around the world. But putting that in context, that acceleration is urgent, but we've got such a long way to go. We need to sort of install around enough capture plants to capture and store 7 billion tons of CO2 annually by 2050. And that's just a couple of decades away. It really does seem rather close now that we're heading towards the mid-2020s. So it's really accelerating. There are lots of developments, drastic growth, but we are starting from a very low base. We are starting from nothing and we've got to get to 7 billion tonnes a year by 2050. So it's a huge challenge.
0: Quite a number that we're working towards there. I think that brings me into my, my next question. Do you think that enough is being done to to draw attention to carbon capture? If not, then why? What more can be done to develop the sector? I
1: think it's taken rather a long time to get to this point. And I think it's probably down to the fact that not many countries had net zero targets. So, you know, if you don't have a net zero target, if you only have to reduce your emissions, by a percentage then you can choose other technologies and you can do the easy bits the low-hanging fruit decarbonizing electricity electrifying what you can that's still hard I've spent 10 years working on offshore wind before coming to work on CCUS and I think huge strides were made there but that's taken kind of a decade to really start scaling to the level we need and we've still got a lot more to build What's a shame, I think, is that governments didn't in parallel develop the other solutions needed as well to decarbonise the wider economy. And there are just parts of the economy that you just can't decarbonise without carbon capture. So it would have made sense to be scaling up those technologies ready in parallel. Obviously, once you've got a net zero target and the UK's got one legislated in law and so have many other countries now, obviously, and Europe's been really leading and driving net zero as well, that means you have to take it seriously. You have to develop the technology. You have to deploy it widely in your industrial sector and a little bit in energy and other power generation. So I think once countries have a legal net zero target, then there's really no hiding from the fact that you need to develop this technology. Time is running out because there are many interim targets for 2030. And we're really kind of nowhere near those at the moment. We haven't got many large operational facilities at all globally. And most of what we do have is carbon stored as a kind of side activity to oil and gas processing or enhanced oil recovery. So they've been learning about carbon storage, but it's not being done to keep carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. It's a sort of experimental activity or it's a small scale activity on the side of other commercial operations we now need to get to putting this on to all of our industrial facilities all heavy emitting facilities that can't be decarbonized any other way it's just a huge challenge and I think probably what governments need to think about is how to kind of retain their supply chain and supply chain security whilst decarbonizing it because it's no good demanding that people decarbonize and not giving them the tools so essentially this costs money and it's not going to be covered by entirely the carbon price that's avoided when you capture those emissions and many of those industries aren't subject to full carbon prices at the moment because It's internationally competitive markets, so you just don't want to see those industries move elsewhere. Emissions just seep out of Europe and go somewhere else. That doesn't help any of us. So this is really about saying we're going to have to do this quite quickly on a lot of sites. That's a lot of construction, a lot of disturbance for people potentially. Also, it's a huge cost and somehow as a society, we've got to accept that that is the cost of reaching net zero and that's true for CCUS but also many other technologies and have that open honest debate with the public about what that means that's not happening so I think that could help all technologies not just CCUS but I think that's the gap at the moment is owning up to kind of how big the job is it's going to be a bit disruptive it's, it's going to be expensive relatively speaking to what we've had because we haven't paid the true cost of these products however if we move early and decisively then we will actually have a cheaper transition than if we leave it to the last minute so i think all of that really needs to be explained to the public so that more of the public can get behind this because it will need support from everyone to succeed
0: we realize that there's benefits to carbon capture and storage in in some of the hard to abate sectors however you mentioned cost and it it's a huge risk factor how do you encourage people to, to take this risk? You know, and yes, the financial cost now could be great, but what about the cost if, if there's no action at all?
1: Well, I mean, it's really interesting, but our own treasury in the UK has estimated that the societal costs of emitting CO2 in the 2030s, you know, they're over 200 pounds around 250 pounds a tonne. It's huge because the damage that every tonne of CO2 that is emitted increases every single year into the future. So it's not a linear thing. And, it's, and this is in kind of floods and extreme temperature events, weather events, storm damage, that sort of thing. There's a huge amount of, if you like, adaptation costs of living in a more challenging climate and the taxpayers will have to meet those. So that's the other side of the coin and actually saying if the earlier we move, the more CO2 we take out of the atmosphere earlier and then it's, you know, that CO2 would be in the atmosphere for less years, you know, so it wouldn't be in the atmosphere. So doing a plant today, building the same plant in five years time, well, it's more expensive simply because of that. I think when we get to kind of the economic arguments about what we've seen through COVID and you know, supply chain, security being threatened. I think having a resilient economy where you have still got some manufacturing and things in your own economy that not fully reliant always on all imported goods, that is important. And so the industries that we still have in Europe, we need to, I think, enable them to make that transition effectively. And if they can, I think that shows real leadership. And we'll see that elsewhere. So things like the carbon border adjustment mechanism, for example, you know, send a really clear signal. I was at COP last year and speaking to a delegate from Morocco and they are really thinking about CCUS because they want to export their products to Europe and they see the CBAM and they think, well that's what's going to be required. There's going to be a standard around, you know, low carbon products that we'll have to meet. And that they're one of our important customers. So I think things that you do in your sort of home territory can impact global markets and i think we'll start to see that so i think never underestimate kind of the importance of being a first mover taking that leadership and ultimately saving costs down the line is what this is all about but we do have to move decisively and early and we do have to move together i think in developed countries to demonstrate that that's the way to go the
0: world economic forum uh Recently in in Davos, there was a lot of discussion around, you know, the role or the continuing role of fossil fuels uh, in our energy mix moving forward. You know, there were representatives from, for example, oil and gas saying that in order for fossil fuels to persist, which some believe is required, at least in the near future, for a stable energy supply, uh, that carbon capture is really the answer to, to the future of fossil fuels. What are your comments on that, Ruth?
1: So I think if you set aside the use of fossil fuels for a moment and assume that if you were saying, let's pick a point in the future where we don't use them or whatever, that then and I assume that is coming at some point. So <laughs> that's not an unreasonable assumption. You then have to say, well, how do you get to there, And what does one play work back from that? And I think One thing I will say about oil and gas companies, a couple of them are our members. We have a wide range of members, a lot of end users, heavy industries and things that we're talking about who all see that they're going to need this because they see, you know, the writing on the wall in terms of rising carbon costs and so forth. But one thing I will say about the oil and gas members is that they do plan ahead. They have 100 year strategies and then 50 year and 30 year and 25 year and 15 year and 10 year strategies. I haven't met any other industry that does that, and no governments do that either. So, I think if anyone's thinking about this, it's the oil and gas companies. So, at least I think give them credit for thinking ahead. And I think what the rest of us need to do is start thinking that way, start planning what that looks like. Otherwise, we'll never get there. So, I think we need to start doing that seriously and saying, how do we get to that point? But the start of that point is the same as we're in now, which is. If we are going to use fossil fuels, then we mustn't emit the carbon. And we need to get to that point as soon as possible, whilst also developing ways to reduce using them, right? So I think these are two really important parts of any strategy, right? So let's get cracking. We know how to do the first one. We need to do more work on the second one. But that shouldn't stop us moving forward. And I think, back to my earlier point about Yes, we need to develop as much renewables as possible. We need nuclear. We need many other solutions, direct air capture, greenhouse gas removals with other ways, biochar, all these things. We need all of these solutions. Let's not pick fights between them. Let's develop them all. Because one thing I know for sure is we're going to have to do more than we think. We've got these charts We're saying, oh, well, we need to be here by 2035. And if we can just get to here by 2050, we'll be okay. It doesn't go by a single year when there isn't another study from the IPCC or the CCC or someone credible. You know, 90% of the world scientists saying actually it's worse than we thought. We need to go fast or we need to do more. So let's not wait. Let's not leave it till just in time delivery of this stuff. Let's do it as early as we can. The time for negotiating is gone, really. You can't negotiate with the atmosphere. So we might not like that some of this technology is owned by oil and gas companies who, you know, don't have the best reputation but this technology is there let's use it for good let's use it to clean up the problem that has been created by our use of fossil fuels and collectively own the solutions to get out of that situation so you know I think it's a really good debate but I don't think we're using CCUS to continue using fossil fuels I think we're using CCUS to manage the impacts of using fossil fuels whilst we work out how to wean ourselves off that would be
0: my take on it. We've seen a great deal um, from oil and gas in terms of uh, decarbonizing operations and moving along many of their own CCUS uh, activities. And I think it, it highlights the exciting projects that are taking place uh, around the world, specifically in Europe. And, uh, you know, in preparation for this discussion, I was looking at oil uh, industrial clusters, for example, in the Humber region. Um, I know that Project Orca received a lot of media attention and uh, even the Lynx Consortium in Norway. Ruth, on your radar, what are some of the projects that are really exciting that actually make you feel really hopeful about the benefits that CCUS or or, or carbon capture and storage have to offer?
1: Yeah, so I think you've pulled out some of the forerunners there. I think Northern Lights, obviously, are great storage project and with longship which is developing that to take co2 from heidelberg's cement plant in brevik so that will be by ship to then be stored in northern lights so i think that's now i think probably going to be the first large scale capture and storage from a cement plant in europe so that's fantastic um, cement does need CCS. Doesn't have any other options, so that's really great. We need to move on with that. And also, the longship will take CO2 from the Fortum waste plant, in Oslo. and again, I think energy from waste is really interesting customer for CCS. If you like, it again, plays a really important role more broadly in our environment in terms of waste management. So, really great to see CCS on waste, and we've got a lot of energy from waste plants in our members and they are spread around the industrial clusters in the UK and looking to be leaders in their sector and have CCS on those. I think Iceland's basalt storage, but currently about 100,000 tons a year. So you remember me talking about the 7 billion we need to get to. These are all quite small at the moment, but what's exciting there, as you mentioned, is the new projects which have applied for EU funding. So definitely one to watch. And then, yeah, you mentioned the u k clusters. We've got loads of clusters in the u k now it we keep having new ones announced, and it's really exciting. so I mean, between high net Northwest and the East Coast cluster, which are the track one cluster selected by the u k government, you know you've got the potential to capture and store about thirty two million tons, so that's that's big that's per year and then there are Scottish and South Wales clusters, the Solent cluster and we relaunch, if you like, Viking cluster, and the which is sort of South Humber and the Bacton Thames hub, which has a, plans to create a CO2 import terminal. So, potential to actually take CO2 from around the UK, from places that aren't near storage sites, but also potentially from Europe as well. So, I think UK can play a role in supporting European decarbonisation alongside Norway and other countries that have offshore storage and really exciting to see Germany looking at CO2 storage now and looking at its own assets. So yeah, really, really interesting time. I think we will see huge acceleration, which I think is my favourite word for the CCS industry at the moment. The, The curve that we have to go up is very steep. And there really isn't time for, I think one of the things that's a bit frustrating is great that the EU is going to respond to the US Inflation Reduction Act. It's great that they're going to hopefully front load some more funding, but it really needs to get out of the door a lot quicker. I think processes need to be quicker. I think the administration needs to be done in a way that understands we're in a climate crisis. It's not that different to being at war. We don't have many years. We have seven years till 2030 to get on that trajectory. And to stay on it, a huge acceleration in twenty thirty 2030 to twenty thirty five. So, really, the administration, the pace of that needs to accelerate along with the industry.
0: Ruth, is it fair to say that the need for this urgent action and and to become more proactive, would you say that that keeps you committed? in your role as CEO of CCSA? Is that what really keeps you excited and motivated in your role? Because it's, it's a mammoth task. And I think, uh, you know, some might find that they get discouraged or demotivated when considering what still needs to be done.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just the fact that I have children. I know lots of children and young people who are really looking to our generation to sort out the mess. They're kind of saying, look, You cannot accept how things are anymore. You need to do something. And, you know, I'm at a stage where I understand how everything works. I can see what needs to be done. And I have the skills to kind of contribute to that and try and move it forward. So I kind of owe it to them to do that and to help them as well to start having an impact. So I think we are creating here the economy of the future. It's got to be a green economy. We're in the middle between how things have always been done and the kind of slight treacle that that feels like sometimes to try to break through that and how things will need to be. And I'm really confident the next generation is just going to run with that. But we need to make some headway for them. I'm not so old yet that I could say, well, I'm not going to fix it in my career. I'll leave it to someone else. And actually, what I really love about CCS community of all ages and all backgrounds is that everybody, even those that have been in this since the early 2000s or even earlier, are still plugging away trying to make this happen and almost saying to me, you know, we can't retire till we see this built. So please hurry up. So I actually think there's a real responsibility in this industry to try to make this happen. And people do. People are very individually passionate. People work very hard to try and achieve that because we don't want to leave it to the next generation it's our mess to solve we need to set it on the right path
0: Ruth thank you so much for sharing that with us it has been a pleasure to have you join us today
1: thank you I've really enjoyed the conversation
0: and thank you to our listeners until next time thank you for listening to this energy transitions podcast brought to you by Inlet and friends visit enlit.world for more episodes see you next time